Thank you, Ed. We're going to be at the third chapter of John, but before we go there, if you will, go with me to 2 Corinthians for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just a, a verse I want to underscore for you right there before we move into John chapter 3, that well-known well sin. God has been tremendously blessing of late. As we have been more and more wholeheartedly focused on the point of our spear, being aware of people who are lost and don't know Jesus, praying for them, encouraging them, uh, bringing them to opportunities just like this, uh, sharing with them our story of how God has moved in our lives, sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has been blessing absolutely incredibly. I know in the years that I have been here, we've never had 13 weeks where we had 22 professions of faith. God is just doing some tremendous things in our midst. Give Him glory. Today I want to share with you the most difficult person to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most difficult person to get through to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, And let me tell you, it's, it's not the sin-hardened crack addict. It's not the degenerate racketeer in human trafficking. It's not the mass murderer. The most difficult person to get through to with the gospel of Jesus Christ is a good, moral, decent, benevolent man or woman. Those are the most difficult people. To... Why? Why is that the case? Simply put, they do not see a need for a Savior. They, they don't see a need for a Redeemer. They don't see a need for Christ. Because they're good, moral, law-abiding, decent, benevolent folks. They're folks that their, their moral compass is as good as many church people's happen to be. And yet, they don't see a need for Christ. They don't see a need for the Lord in their lives. Why is this? Well, Paul investigates this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you'll turn there for a moment, beginning with verse 3. And he makes it abundantly clear. 2 Corinthians 4.3, he says, But even if our gospel is veiled, that means hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, look at verse 4, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. What is happening is there is a spiritual blindness. And it affects no one any more or any more drastically than it does the good, moral, decent, law-abiding, benevolent person. And there are several things. If you're sharing with them, they'll say, they'll say, well, I'm, I'm as good as anyone that goes to the church. And you know, sometimes they may be right. I don't know. Sometimes they say, well, I haven't committed any heinous, horrible sins or crimes. Well, remember last week we, we looked into Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 is just so, so incredibly explosive here. I ask you the question, how many people do you have to kill in cold blood to be a murderer? And you told me one. How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? One. How many times do we have to sin to be a sinner? And the answer to that is one. 
And Paul, as he was looking deeply into the fabric of, of man's character, he, he's quoting here from Psalm, Psalm 14 and also Psalm 54, I think, 53, I believe it is, where he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one who truly understands. No one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've all become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. There's no end to excuses that people might make. Good moral folks. But the fact of the matter is, Holy Spirit is trying to work into their lives. And they have to put up defenses. They have to put up shields to, to keep Holy Spirit from breaking through. And one of the things they put up is the shield of their goodness. The shield of their morality. And they might have even attended church very faithfully for many, many years. The fact of the matter is, they're not listening. The first martyr of our faith, his name is Stephen. And it's recorded in, in, in Acts. And right before he was stoned to death... Here are the words that he uttered. He said, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist Holy Spirit. Resist Him. Put up barriers. Did you know you can do that? Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Holy Spirit will not force Himself upon you. Now, I'll tell you what he does do. He does everything he possibly can to stack the deck in favor of you coming to faith in Christ. He does everything short of violating your freedom of choice to stack the deck to where you will freely embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But he will not cross that line. He will not cross that line. I think it was Dr. Billy Graham who said, the Lord has to get a person lost before he can get them saved. And the point of that is that Holy Spirit first has to make us aware of our lostness, aware that our goodness is not going to be sufficient to get us into the kingdom of heaven. And once we become aware of that and understand that we're lost like any other person is without Christ, then we see our need. Then we can move forward and understand what God has for us. Chief among all of those who refused to receive Christ in his day was a group of people who re were reputed to be the most religious, the most moral, the most respected, the most benevolent group of people on the planet. They lived right there in Israel. They lived right there in Jerusalem. They were known for their, their zeal and their commitment. And they were known as the Pharisees. Now, I know in our day that that term has a negative connotation. Well, you're being pharisaical. That means that, that you're, 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 you're a legalist. That's something of our age. When a person was a Pharisee in Jesus' time, in Paul's time, they were revered. They, they were honored because these people were serious about being good. These people were serious about doing what's right. I mean, they had committed their lives every waking moment of their day to the keeping of the Ten Commandments. They were focused solely on this. And one such man had the name of Nicodemus. And that's who we're going to meet in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Go back to where uh, Eric read earlier. 
And I want to read through several more verses following that. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler, pay attention to that, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Now, we can only speculate as to why he came by night, but he came under the cover of darkness, okay? This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, your Bible may say, Verily, verily, or it may say, Behold. It means, pay attention to this. That's what that phrase means. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, there's that word again. Pay attention. I say to you that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher? Underline the word the right there. Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, verily, verily. Here he says it again. I say to you, you speak, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you could not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of God, who was in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whoever believes in, the, in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you right now. We're, we're way over our head. We need for you to come and minister your grace to us. We, we need for you to come and help us understand how is it that our goodness can never be enough. Minister truth to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, now this study of Nicodemus is a case study in the life of a good, moral, devout man. Listen, if anybody could be expected to make it into heaven on his own merit, that man's Nicodemus. I mean, he, he was in every way just as good and moral and decent as he could be. And when he came to Jesus, he came with all of that goodness, with all of that, and Jesus right away, bam! If you're expecting to get into the kingdom of God, 
It's not going to be because of your goodness. You must be born again. Jesus made it clear. And to all good moral folks anywhere in the world, you don't make it into heaven on your own good works. You'll fall short and there's only one other destination possible for you to spend eternity. Let's look at Nicodemus. You look at your notes here for a moment. First of all, he, he was a good man. A good man. A good, good, good man. He, he kept the law impeccably. As a Pharisee, he had taken a solemn vow before other Pharisees that he would spend every minute of his life keeping the Ten Commandments. And in no way would he violate them. He made that as a vow. And, and he, he has to be performing that. He gets kicked out if he doesn't. I read this week, you know, one of, one of my many, many great champions has been Adrian Rogers, that great, great preacher. And I have, I have every sermon he ever, ever published. And often I read them, but I was reading through one here the other day and, and he said this. He said, what would it be like to be in a church filled with Pharisees? He said, here's what would happen. Every time the doors were open, every one of them would be there. Every position on every committee and every class would be filled. And volunteers would be standing in line. Every one of them would give 25 to 35% of their take-home pay to the cause of the church. And every one of them would go to hell. Because every one of them would be depending on their own goodness to get them into the kingdom. He went on to say, what they do not realize is that no one is so bad that they cannot be saved. And no one is so good that they need not be saved. They fail to see that the worst form of human badness is human goodness that becomes a substitute for Christ. Nicodemus was a good man. He was a very good man. It says he was a ruler, a leader of all of the Pharisees. It wasn't like he was just one of the number. He was one of the top dogs. He was most, most respected. But I want you to see this. He was also a very genuine man. Whereas some of the other religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, would be trying to trick Jesus, to find some way to trip him up and have something they could accuse him of. Nicodemus came to him absolutely genuine in heart. He didn't come to him trying to trick him up. He was seriously looking for answers. And I think it was that sincerity of heart that Jesus looked at and said, this man deserves the truth. This man deserves the loving, tender truth. He, he was seeking. He, he came and he actually addressed Jesus as his equal. And you, you might find, uh, you know, that not surprising about that. But there weren't many of these folks. There weren't many of these Pharisees. And, and he addressed Jesus as an equal, called him rabbi. He affirmed that, you know, no man can do the things that you do unless he comes from God. He, he affirmed Jesus in every way. And respected him, but he didn't understand who Jesus was. Second thing I want you to see is he was a very religious man. Let me tell you something. Religion cannot save you. Religion can only damn you. 
I want you to let that sink in. Being a Baptist, a Presbyterian, Catholic, whatever it may be, religion cannot redeem you. Religion can only damn you. He was a very, very religious man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. What was that? That was 70 Jewish religious leaders that governed the religious affairs of all of Israel. Now, Pilate was the political leader, but it was the Sanhedrin, and especially the chief priest, that was the religious leaders. And here he was. In verse 10, said, Jesus says, Are you not the teacher of Israel? What does that mean? He's got to be one of the top dogs. He's got to be the creme de la creme. He's got to be some of the elite when it comes to being good and godly. He was a deeply religious man. And if anyone thought they could ever earn the right to enter into heaven by their own merit, it would have been Nicodemus. And Jesus knew that about him. And Jesus respected him. Jesus loved him. Loved him enough to tell him the truth. And listen to me. I want to love you enough this morning to tell you the truth. It doesn't matter how long you've been a member of some church. It doesn't matter how much money you've given or how many volunteer positions you have. There is only one requirement to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it's not how good you are. It's what Jesus said. You must be born again. Nothing else will substitute. Third, I want you to see that he was a deeply spiritual man. He was spiritually sensitive. He knew Jesus had to be anointed by God. Of all of those Pharisees, of all of those great teachers, none of them were doing the miracles Jesus was doing. All of those miracles, what did they do? They authenticated. This man must be from God. And so some found reason to try, try to uh, say, well, no, 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 it's not God. It's, it's the devil that's giving him that. But Nicodemus, no, you're, you're of God. No man could do the things that you do if he wasn't sent from God. So here this good, good man in all of his goodness, he comes to Jesus. And he, he wants to have a talk with him. And he affirms Jesus, no man can do the things except you do. And, and so he's ready. He never gets his first question out. Why? Jesus wasn't entertaining him to debate intricacies of the law. He knew what this man needed. He needed to be saved. He needed to be born again. He needed to realize that no goodness will get you into the kingdom of heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ gets you into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus cared enough to tell him. Look, and he's raising up a generation of people, starting right here at First Baptist Church, that is not afraid to say, you must be born again. Nothing else will do. Everything else falls short. This promises me there's hope for a good man. There's hope for an intellectual man. There's hope for a religious man. There's hope for any genuine seeker. But it's not in our own goodness. It's totally and totally about him to be born again. Somebody asked me, uh, one of the support staff, I think it was, asked me. I was forecasting this sermon several weeks ago. And they said, Brother Fred, I was wondering, is there a more modern, a more descriptive way 
to explain what happens to somebody when they, when they come to faith in Christ other than born again. You know, born again has kind of got pulled through the gutter. It's been, it's been misused and such as that. Is there a, a, a better term, a better phrase for it? And I pondered that. I did. I took two or three days to think through that. And let me tell you what I came up with. No. You just can't improve on the Word of God there. Because it's an absolute brand new creation. Innocent as you can be. When you're born into the kingdom of God. Born again. It's a phrase that you just cannot wear out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 explains it. says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. So this is a, it's a, it's a good phrase. But let me tell you this. It's a confusing phrase. That's the next thing in your notes. Nicodemus was a confused man. He was bum-fuzzled. Can I take you back to seven days after I was saved? Some of you have heard me say this. But when I was saved, I came from a totally non-church background whatsoever. And I was saved on a Sunday morning. And the pastor told me, he said, there's a little room right down this hall right here, the first one on the right. And that's where the young boys meet for Sunday school on Sunday morning. Next Sunday, you be in that Sunday school class. And uh, you be there at 9.30. And I said, yes, sir. Because you see, I, I operated under the idea if a pastor told you to do something, you were supposed to do it. See, I didn't know what y'all know. Okay. So next Sunday morning at 9.30, guess where I was? Right down the hall in the first room on the right. And I walked in the door, and as I did, the teacher was already there. Can I say that again? The teacher was already there. Let me say that one more time. The teacher was already there. I'm just saying. The teacher was already there. Teacher was there, and he was writing on the blackboard, not a whiteboard. They hadn't invented them yet. I'm sorry. Somebody catch up with me here. Writing on the blackboard, the two words, born again. And I sat down, I looked up there, and I laughed. I said, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. I said, what's that mean? And he said, Fred, that's what happened to you last Sunday. I said, for real? Yeah. That's what happened to you. I mean, I was as confused as Nicodemus might have been. He was a confused man. Why was he confused? Well, born again, the word again right there is the word anothen. And anothen can be made, mean a second time, or it can mean in a really big radical way. But it also can mean from above, as something that divinely has to happen. And that's obviously what Jesus was talking about. But Nicodemus was trying to figure, how do I get back in my mother's womb again? And he couldn't figure out a way. He, he couldn't figure out a way. You see, me and my natural, when I'm confronted with a spiritual need, the first thing I drop back to is, how can I meet that spiritual need in my own human ability? And that's what you do too. That's just a natural knee-jerk reaction. And that's why Jesus would tell him, no, 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 no. This is something the Holy Spirit does. You have to be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus looked at him and said, huh? Still confused. So listen, if this is, is a little over your head, if this confuses you just a little bit, understand, you got a friend in Nick, okay? <laughs> you got a friend in Nicodemus. He, he was that way too. A good man, moral man, pure, good provider, respected member of society, sought after teacher, committed to the Ten Commandments, assured that he would make it into the kingdom of heaven out of his own goodness. And Jesus stopped him in his tracks. Ain't happening. What you need, Nicodemus, 
is to be born again. Confused. John Wesley, he and his brother Charles founded Methodism. Tremendous preacher, tremendous man. He went all over England and Scotland and Wales in his preaching. And he had one sermon he preached over and over and over and over again. It was from John 3, you must be born again. And he was asked by a reporter in London one time as he'd come back and he was holding a crusade. He'd been there about his fourth night. And the sermon was basically the same each night. And the reporter said, why is it you always come back till you must be born again? And John Wesley said, well, well, it, well, because you must be born again. There is no other answer. There is no other do these five good things. Give to these great causes. Go, go perform this ritual. No. What, what does it mean? Well, look at those most beloved words as found in verses 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Referred to as the gospel in miniature, the one verse that says it all. There it is. Jesus tried to explain, but there's no way that, that Nicodemus could understand. No way, even the disciples could understand at this point when he said in the same way that, that in the wilderness the snake was lifted up, the Son of Man's got to be lifted up, he'll draw him into himself. He was speaking cryptically because this was a prophecy he was going to have to live out himself by being crucified. But then he made something real important, and this is where we've got to sit down for just a minute this, this, uh, this morning. Look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Stop right there. Jesus didn't come to condemn this world. Jesus didn't come to send anybody to hell. He didn't. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but, 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 but that the world through Him, through His death and resurrection, might be saved. And what's the key that unlocks the door? He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, here's where the water hits the wheel. How is a person born again? Not something they can do. You can't manufacture it. You can fall on your knees though. And you can say, God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm a rebel that wants to repent. I'm one, I want to give you my life. I want to give control of my life over to you. And I dare to believe that when that happens, as I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that something amazing will happen within me. And you know what it does? Right now, Jesus is standing and knocking on the door of your heart. In the next few moments, He wants to come in there and totally transform everything within you to make you a brand new person in Jesus Christ. When you pray to Him, that's exactly what He's going to do. What was it Chris said last weekend? He said, once I made that decision, Everything changed. Yeah. That's what happens when you're born again.
And the invitation is for you to do that even now. You bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, right here today, there are many, many born-again children of God, people that have already surrendered their lives to you, have already accepted that they'll never get to heaven on their own goodness. They have to go on your ticket. But there are some here, some here right here in this, in this worship center, others that are watching by means of uh, internet. And right now, if they're honest to God, if they're honest with self, they have to say, I've trusted religion, or I've trusted my own good works, and now I'm hearing, that's just going to get me hell. What does it take for me to have heaven? The preacher says, I've got to be born again. God, I want that to happen in my life. Right now, I want you to come into my heart. I turn away from my sin. I confess that I've been doing it my own way, but now I want to do it your way. I surrender my life to you. I want that brand new start. I need to give you my life and for your life to come to me. Father, I know on the assurance of your word that you've never, ever, ever rejected that prayer. And you're not going to do it this morning either. Some of them in the next few moments and they want to just come and they'll say to me or to Bob, hey, I prayed with the pastor. I prayed to receive Christ. We want to rejoice with them. Angels are rejoiced in heaven. They already know this. We want to know it here on earth. Others may want to unite with our fellowship, be a part of this church. Others may want to come and pray for those that they're so deeply burdened that they come to Christ. Lord, this is our time to say yes to you, to be faithful to you. So right now, move mightily in our church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.